Welcome back to the film pod to relax slash study to. This is our post TIFF 2023 episode in usual fashion, two weeks late. It's okay. Uh, we're going to talk about all the movies we saw, low ranking, what's good, what's bad. We also did a special little recording on the streets of TIFF, Festival Street, Sunday night, Festival Street Sunday, I believe. I thought it was Saturday night. It was one of the nights got too crazy in the uh, Peroni Lounge, <laughs> so we don't quite remember. Yeah, it was Saturday night before our Saturday movie. So we did the little Festival Street recording, live reporting on the status, the health of the Festival Street experience. State of the nation. And we will be inserting that right now. And then after we finish that, we'll come back and review the films. So please enjoy. Festival Street 2023. You can hear the occasional cheers in the background, or right by the red carpet. And the pulsating music, yeah, by the Roy Thompson Hall red carpet. We're within viewing distance of the uh, Peroni Lounge, the highlight yeah. of the street this year. Yes, an incredible activation. So overall thoughts so far, Festival Street 2023? Um, pretty good. So I guess we... Um, hit the street yesterday, although we didn't go see any movies, but we just came, we went out for dinner and then just checked it out, just to check out the scene, I guess. Um, and then we were here this afternoon for a movie, and now we're back <laughs> for our final movie of the evening. Um, but I think overall, there's a security okay. incident happening. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some fan was apprehended. Um, yeah, I feel like overall it's... It's clearly better than last year. It's better than last year. Although I, I still, I will still say there's too many just sort of like selfie style activations. Like there seems to be a lot of things where all you're doing is like taking a photo. Yeah. Um, which I'm not that interested in. Like there was the Spain one, I guess the Indeed one. I don't really <laughs> know why people are so hyped about the future of work and taking a photo. But um, yeah, and there was a few other ones that were just like take a photo kind of thing. Um, and I'm not really interested in that. I'm more interested in like a food or drink item. Yeah, it seems, those seem like very low cost activations where it doesn't actually cost the company much. They're not mm -hmm. giving away free stuff. No, but I guess they're also not a food-based, <laughs> a food or beverage-based brand, but they're sponsoring in whatever capacity. So, um, so yeah, like definitely still, there's always going to be a place in my heart for the Mick Cafe um, and activation and the DJ. I'll never forget. It's like a beautiful dream. Um, and Pure Leaf, of course, which is continuing their sponsorship, but just no um, activation in sight, unfortunately. However, I will say that the Peroni Lounge has really picked up the slack and was just an incredible experience. Yeah, the Peroni Lounge is carrying 
the street this year. Mm -hmm. I went to it this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, I think we went at the right time, like just perfect time in the afternoon. Like I guess it must've been around 430. Yeah. So there was no line. So we got in immediately and, um, you got two little tokens, yeah. one for food, one for a beer. Food's pretty good. Yeah, well, it was focaccia just focaccia. Caramelized onions. And I had the um, pesto and sun-dried tomato one puree, which was also pretty tasty. Um, yeah, it was great. And it's just adjacent to the Roy Thompson Hall red carpet. So you can see onto the carpet and see the screens, like the live feed of the carpet as well, which is pretty cool. So it's like kind of a hack, I guess, if you're here to see celebrities, um, you could just <laughs> instead of waiting in line to go into the fan zone, you could just go into the Peroni area um, because there's the section that we were standing in is just off the main lounge area, I guess. But yeah. it looks directly into the carpet and it's almost basically next door to the um, fan zone. Yeah, so. we saw the top of Nicolas Cage's head. Yeah, point. but that was on the opposite side. Yes. He was walking the carpet at the Royal Alex, not at Roy Thompson but Hall. A, but we did see the top of his head. I saw most of his face. Okay. So, good. you know, I can I can verify that it was Nicolas Cage. And, well, people were also chanting Nick, so. It's a great vantage point in general. Yes. The Peroni Lounge. Yes, yes. But, yeah, the carpet wasn't really starting for the movie at Roy Thompson Hall during the time that we were there and then we had to go home for dinner. <laughs> so um, to recharge and feed the cat. Yes. Both of those things were important. So but I think it was uh, yeah, I was very impressed with the Peroni activation. So yeah, that's number one right now. Mm -hmm. There two. is well, I guess like the Pizza Nova one, but we didn't actually do it. I'm not pro Pizza Nova. Oh whatever. I'd eat free Pizza Nova, why not? I guess. I got nothing against it. So maybe tomorrow we'll see. Um, and then there's like a vodka one too, where you get like a little, I guess it's like a, one of those vodka cooler drinks. So you get like a little sip of it, but then there's also like a selfie thing within that. And I'm like less interested in that and more just interested, I guess, in the free drink, but I don't know. I don't know that I'm so inclined to wait in line for that. And then there's that one where they're like silk screening bags. Yes, which for I think UPS, is cool. But I don't really understand it. Like, do they put your name on it? Or? No, it's like specific designs. Oh, so you just pick one and they silk screen it for yeah. you? Yeah. The designs are like based on like, a, like it's an editor production designer. Mm. Like, uh, but the line's else. so long. Yeah, the line's crazy. And we, like the, the dudes, bags, so. oh yeah, so many, I don't, really don't need another one. And like the dudes running that station are just, <laughs> they're like working so hard. I feel like just <laughs> pressing bags, all pressing bags. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Okay, Peroni Lounge number one. Peroni Lounge number one. Amazing. Mm. I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Clear number two experience we've had is the Ghibli Papa. Yeah, but that's not like a free activation. That's just like a spend your money and buy yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's a festival street. Yeah, yeah, but it's on all week, so yeah. it won't end at the end of the weekend. It'll keep on going. But yeah, we went last night on Friday night, and not too much of a line for that. So we got in pretty quickly. Um, today, this afternoon, there was like a huge line. I don't know what the line is like now. Well, I guess we'll see when we go to the light box, but. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good stuff. We bought a few things, which was fun. Yeah, I got a little elk. 
Mononoke elk doll. Yeah, and I got my that Spirit Away tea cup, um, the Totoro towel, bath towel, and then the little blind box with the radish spirit figurine, which I was very happy about because that's the one I wanted. So incredible moment. It was. Incredible way to kick off the customer. Great unboxing moment for me. So yeah, the Ghibli pop-up is fun. Uh, I wonder how much of the merch will be sold out at the end of the festival. And I wonder how big the line is tonight. So we'll have to check that out. Yeah. But yeah, that's fun. I, obviously a tie-in with the boy and the heron. So, um, but yeah, we loved it. It was great. Yeah. What else? Any other... We met that Florida couple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> heard the roars of Nickelback fans. Yes. We haven't heard the roars of Finn Wolfhard fans yet, but I think they might be gone, right? I thought they played at five, that band. Oh, at five. The Aubrey's. Okay. Yeah, they played at five. Yeah, the Florida couple. So the guy was the producer for a movie at TIFF, Unicorns. Um, they <laughs> seemed very confused. They were in line with us for the pop-up, but the woman just wanted TIFF like just straight up TIFF festival merch and I guess didn't realize that it was in the TIFF shop like in the light box and thought it was all in the pop-up shop so she was very confused when she got in <laughs> um, and she had no idea what any studio yeah. movies were neither did her husband I think no but uh, then she bought a spatula and I think went to the TIFF shop to actually get the thing that she wanted so shout out to that lady what a great line conversation that Very was. Nice. Yeah. Like frequenting with the uh, tourists. The people. Visitors. The other festival goers. Yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, surprising amount of like people with like baby carriages going into yeah. the fan zone. I noticed today, a like at babies. least two people with babies went into that fan zone outside of Roy Thompson Hall. Yeah, gotta so. get your baby signed. That's what I Why kept else saying. Why you have one? That's <laughs> the whole point. You need to get an autograph on your baby. So, yeah, shout out to the young fans out there. Yeah, the autograph culture seems pretty fucked up. Do you think? Well, I think there's just dudes that come here just to get autographs, and they have stacks of little blank cards, and they're just collecting autographs from celebs that they don't care about. They're do you think they them. sell them, or I do you see. think they just keep them, like, keep a collection? Yeah, maybe they keep it, they have an autograph fetish. And keep them. Mm, okay. But it didn't seem like the type of people who really cared about the autograph they're getting. Just maybe they're they getting do. An autograph. Okay, maybe I'm being too judgmental. Perhaps you are. There's something off with the fan zone experience with <laughs> babies and Yeah, the babies stuff. were weird. I was, yeah, like I definitely, yeah, definitely weird seeing some people, like more than one person, pushing a stroller into the fan zone. So I don't really know what that's about, but I'm also not a parent, so maybe I shouldn't be making those judgments. Um, but yeah, it's it's all in all, it's fun. Like it's, I mean, I guess like this Festival Street came back last year after the pandemic, but I think it's always just like a fun experience. You know, it's like very lively, and it's just nice to see people out and about. And, um, whatever enjoying the atmosphere I guess and I think in some ways it's like a smart move because you're already sort of blocking off traffic in a way just with like the red carpets and all the fans and stuff so it's like you might as well just like officially close the street mm -hmm. and it makes it feel like it's a big event in the city 
people yeah. don't really care about movies can come. Yeah, exactly. So, and then, you know, who knows, maybe they'll see something or be interested in it, whatever. But yeah, and I also think that, that now that basically the entire festival is concentrated just along King Street, um, you know, it kind of makes sense to have this big, like, celebration the first weekend and <laughs> stuff. So, yes, it becomes this little, like, village area in a way. So, it's fun. Yeah, just bring back the free food, more free food, more free drinks. And... Yes. Yeah, less photo-based activations and more food and beverage-based activations is what I would say is my preference. Because I don't really want a photo of myself at all doesn't interest me <laughs> so but otherwise but I guess that Peroni one really crushed it really really a game changer so yeah so I don't know do you have anything else to say or should we just enjoy the atmosphere a little bit before our 930 movie yeah, let's enjoy the atmosphere all right that's all there is all there is cool. to it we'll sign off for now Great. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was incredible. Beautiful festivals. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I feel like I'm back there. Back on those streets. Festival Street, maybe showing some signs of life. Mm-hmm. Finally. I'd say that Peroni Lounge was probably the greatest, the greatest part of this year's Festival Street. Yeah, I think that's an easy win. Yeah, for sure. The question becomes, when is it going to usurp the Mick Cafe DJ in your mind, in your heart? If the Peroni Lounge comes back next year, it might usurp the Mick Cafe DJ. Just because I do, I did like the vibe in the lounge. You know, you feel like a little bit like a VIP, but you're not really a VIP because basically anybody can walk in so long as you're 19 plus um but yeah it's like a nice little vibe going and plus like we also found out that you're in very close proximity to the Roy Thompson Hall red carpet honestly close enough to throw a bottle at a celebrity but then the second day that we went there the sort of zone by the carpet was blocked off by security guards so maybe they figured out that <laughs> you could very easily hurl something at a celebrity so something happened or a light went on in someone's head yeah like, hey, actually <laughs> it's not a great idea this, this is like very close like you could also basically just jump a fence and be on the carpet so yeah maybe they uh realized <laughs> that that one little section was like too close for comfort to the red carpet. But yes, I will say like in terms of activations this year, the Peroni lounge, incredible. Loved it. And I also think because it's just, you know, it's one drink and one food item. It does make people kind of cycle through that little area because you know once you're done your stuff you can't get anything else so you kind of have to like keep it moving so it does allow for there to be sort of like a flow of people throughout the zone so good activation design great activation design so prony tiff is looking for a lead sponsor it's all i'm saying 
Peroni Bell Lightbox or yeah. Peroni Lightbox, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Tiff Peroni Lightbox. You could have the Peroni Lounge every day of the year. Okay, so we're not just here for free food. We are here for movies. And we saw seven of them. Um, the title, the episode title of our last episode was a lie because we actually did get Boy in the Heron tickets. So I thought that's where we would begin with our thoughts on the headliner, the biggest film of the festival, I assume, for everyone, not just anime nerds <laughs> like ourselves. Uh, so big movie, lots of process, saw it in IMAX. I got lost in the theater at one point <laughs> in the back rooms. <laughs> and had to exit to street level and then come back up. Sweatily sprint. Scotiabank <laughs> escalator. So, big movie, what do you think? Do you have overall thoughts? Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I have to see the movie again. It was probably my favorite of the festival. Um, I did like it a lot. Was it my favorite of all the Ghibli movies? Probably not. But it was very fun to watch, I'll say. It was like a good viewing experience seeing it on IMAX. It's a good sort of little adventure slash coming of age type of film. Um, maybe not. Well, there were cute creatures. The, what were they called? Warawaras? Yeah, Warawara. They were pretty cute. So we've got like check, check mark on the cute creatures, you know, freaky creatures like the heron when he turns into a man is like pretty unsettling. And like the voice as well is pretty creepy. So yeah, all in all, I mean, it was definitely my favorite of the festival. Um, so I like that one a lot. Yes. Like you say it. Checks every box. If you asked me beforehand, what do you want from a Ghibli movie? Mm -hmm. It checks every one of those boxes. And I agree. I need to see it again because I think seeing it in the TIFF environment in IMAX, you like build it up for yourself. Yeah. It's like it has to be this ultimate experience. Totally. And you just want to love it yeah. because it's so highly anticipated. Yeah. So there's so much pressure on it that I feel it detracts from the experience in the mm -hmm. end. We're not going to spoil it. No, but I also I'm not going to spoil the plot, but I was also I've also found it interesting in the end how it feels like very what it's about. I felt like was very transparent in mm -hmm. a weird way. Yeah, I guess it's sort of self-reflexive type of filmmaking in terms of Miyazaki where he's at in his life and career and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, it feels very personal, maybe in a way that some of the other ones don't. It feels, I don't want to use the D word. What's the D word? Derivative oh. in some respects, but I think in some respects intentionally mm. so because he's sort of, it's very much about Miyazaki mm -hmm. building worlds mm -hmm. and about how his son failed to live up mm -hmm. to him and there is no successor for mm -hmm. him and what he's done and we have to accept that he will go one day and there will be no more of these. But yes, I need to see it again. I doubt yeah. it will end up being like one of my favorite Ghibli's. Yeah. For me, Spirited Away is the ultimate. But it was a great experience. And yeah, getting uh, another little magical world to dive into uh -huh. was very nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like the the world of it all um, and the like weird creatures and all of that, I think is just always fun to watch. So. Boy and the Heron, number one film for both of us. Yes. Pretty easy. Yeah. 
So I have them ranked, so we'll just sort of roughly ranked. Um, but I think the second one that we, one you really wanted to see was the contestant. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up thinking about that? I liked it. I probably wouldn't rank it as high as some of the other things we saw. Um, I think it's like maybe one of those movies where it's like the story is so crazy that, yeah, like that just becomes a sort of focal point rather than the actual filmmaking, if you know what I mean. Because I don't know that anything is really being done in terms of like the sort of style of documentary filmmaking. I think it's more just like, this is a really crazy story. And like that makes it interesting rather than the way the documentary is constructed. Like it's pretty sort of standard in some ways. And I felt like the end of the movie kind of like it kind of like, so it's about this, this, like the premise is this, um, this guy who is on this Japanese reality show where he's basically like locked in a room and he has to enter magazine sweepstakes in order to win stuff to like get a certain monetary amount to be like let out of the room. That's the premise of the show. Um, But yeah, just a lot of the details are pretty wild in the sense that like he didn't there was no sort of contract signing, like agreeing to, to do what he ended up doing in the show. There's like the crazy twist where he, I, I don't know that I should say it, but like he thinks he's going to be let out, but then there's sort of like another challenge and he's still sort of like confined in this like nightmare of a game show. And I guess just some of the like psychological, almost like torture, like effects on his psyche is like pretty horrifying to watch. But I think like, I guess like the, I don't know if the filmmaker just like wanted to, I don't know, like show different aspects of his life. But I thought like the sort of latter, maybe 20 minutes or so where it's about him, like climbing Mount Everest and like the, some of the like awareness and and like humanitarian work he was doing around like the Fukushima like nuclear disaster and stuff like it was interesting and obviously like this guy shouldn't be defined by this like one moment this like one very traumatic moment in his life but like something about it just like didn't really fit in to the rest of the film for me for some reason like I was more I guess like I don't know I agree for sure. Yeah. Interested in like the sort of impact or like some sort of, I don't know if the producers of the show were held accountable or maybe like even like what game shows are like in Japan now, or like maybe sort of tying it into like the larger like reality show craze that is kind of going on. Like, because you see in, um, just like in watching this from like, this was from like 1998 or something. You kind of see a lot of tropes that happen in reality shows now. And I would think that this show was like probably established a lot of things that are now sort of commonplace in a reality TV show. So I don't know, like I think maybe it would have, not that this guy's life isn't interesting and he's like doing all these other things, but I think maybe like tying it into the greater context of like, reality tv 
and like where it's gone now because in some ways it's like still pretty dark and like a lot of shows really sort of like mess with people I would think mentally so I think maybe that would have been a more interesting ending or would have you know given it maybe some more contemporary resonance so that was my one argument about the show I mean sorry the movie about the (laughs) about that show but I mean I think otherwise like the just like the the like whatever amount of footage and stuff from that time was pretty interesting. And like, obviously like having the guy who actually participated in the show reflect on his experience and also having the producer of the show reflect on his experience, I think was very interesting and like, yeah, that was the most interesting part. Yeah. Positioning those interviews with them, like in present day, I thought was, was um, pretty interesting in terms of, how one was feeling and how the other one was kind of, you know, creating the show or whatever. So yeah, the last third felt very forced <laughs> and like respect to, you know, I think it was a bit poignant with whatever his emotional conclusions and respect to him for what he's done. But it is kind of thing where it's like, climbing Mount Everest really doing that much for like people in a nuclear earthquake disaster. Like what does climbing Mount Everest do? Well, I guess it's the idea of like giving people hope and I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I think for me, it's like less about whatever. He climbed Mount Everest. It was like a show of solidarity for like the people of his hometown. But like to me, it was more just like it didn't really sort of tie into the larger themes of the movie. So that was maybe more my issue with it like it sort of it felt like it just like went on a bit of a tangent and it didn't kind of like tie back into like what the documentary was exploring which was the sort of popularity of this show and the harm it did to somebody and yeah like that's why I mean like it could have tied like it could have tied into like what is reality TV show in Japan now or like what are reality TV shows like globally now and why do we like to watch people suffer or like how to what are the sort of psychological impacts of having your life manipulated on camera. So like yeah, I think that would have been maybe a bit more interesting. So another documentary that we both liked a lot was swan song which we went to the gala premiere of which was cool red carpet full cast uh this is about karen kane and the national ballet of canada putting on swan lake story is that like karen kane was about to retire in 2020 and she was going to direct the production of swan lake but everything obviously like we all know what happened covid blah blah lockdown and so she postponed her retirement in order to be able to direct it. And so it's, yeah, so it's sort of about her, I guess, like coming to the end point of this part of her career. But then it also goes into the sort of the lives of like a few of the dancers in the show and the choreographer and kind of like some of the challenges of like mounting this kind of a production, but I guess also some of the challenges of... um like the sort of post COVID era of like live performance, live events and stuff. And generally just some of the like struggles and challenges that the dancers were facing. So it was just like a bunch of different perspectives and things 
um, that the film was looking at. But I like this one a lot. This was an, uh, probably my second favorite of the festival. I'd rank this as number two. I thought it was like a very well made and interesting documentary, like really nicely shot. And I think, yeah, like having all of these different perspectives and storylines made it really interesting to watch as well so yeah i love documentaries about artistic process or people pushing themselves all the parts of the documentary that focused yeah on the court of ballet the day-to-day process or what they're going through was great and i think yeah again like seeing it at roy thompson hall like in like a nice venue like that is also kind of a treat too yeah Yeah. for sure little event Okay, so next, go, go. The Promised Land, Mads uh-huh. Mikkelsen. Yeah. Didn't show up. No. We had nosebleeds. I know that now they know the definition of nosebleeds. Yeah, it was like the weirdest seats ever because, I mean, they were so high up in the balcony and I feel like the seating is so steep there. Yeah. And the way the screen was positioned, like it was just the weirdest angle ever. This is at the Royal Alex. It's where it was like less than a 45 degree angle. It, it was, was so weird. It was, yeah. The screen. <laughs> I mean, it's such a nice venue, but it's like very weird seats. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, balcony. Oh, this will be so sick. It'll mm-hmm. be so nice. So cool. We get up there. I'm like, what is going on with this building? I know it was very weird, but at least we had like, there was that little area for like snacks and bathroom and stuff. So I was kind of just like, okay, well we've got our own sort of private, almost like private bathroom for this section and like snack bar. So I guess that was kind of nice, but yeah, it was just like a very weird angle to sit at and to watch a movie. At the movie. Pretty Pretty, good. Yeah. Pretty good. I feel like it's, uh, uh, it's pretty like straightforward crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. I felt yeah. Very evil villain. Mm-hmm. Easy to root for characters. Mm-hmm. But Mads Mikkelsen's character is still a bit complex and like dark and he's mm-hmm. doing things you're not necessarily approving of. Sure. Some of it is a bit can't tell how how good is this mm. really in the end. Some of the writing, plotting. Yeah. Um, but it was just like an entertaining. Yeah, I thought it was very entertaining. And for that kind of like period costume drama, I think it was pretty good. And yeah, I think like it, you know, I think it's one of those movies that's like. It's good sort of based on the strength of the performances. Um, and like, obviously, like Mads is very good. But yeah, like I thought the guy playing the villain character was quite good as well. And then. um Oh my God, I can't remember her name, but the mother, (laughs) what's her name? Mother. Uh, Amanda Collin. Amanda Collin, thank you. (laughs) Who it took us until the end of the movie. The QA. She's from Raised by Wolves, our favorite show. So So, yeah, it was nice to see her back. Um, Yeah, because the whole movie, I was like, why is she so familiar? Like, what have I seen her in? And then, like, that guy in the QA was just asking her about that show because she was there for the Q and a. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. Glad to see her back. I miss that show. Cause she's very good in this movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, everyone cheered when the villain died. Mm-hmm. So that's how you know it's a... Yeah, it was like a very, like, I think the crowd was really into it. And sometimes it's just fun to go to those kind of movies. Like, whether it's, like, the best movie or not. Like, I think just when the people in the audience get into it like that, I think it's fun. Yeah, So sure. it was just, like, a fun... And it is, like, a big sweeping narrative and stuff. And, yeah, I think it was just generally a lot of fun to watch. Oh, uh- Speaking of crowds, mm-hmm. thoughts on the um, Bulgari clapping trend? Do you think it's stronger than the R? Is the R losing out? Is the R dying out? I don't think the R is dying out. So the clap, I feel like maybe we talked about this, but the clapping is not a new thing. Like people, there was like a few years ago, like a L'Oreal ad that ran and people were clapping to that. Mm, okay. um, and the Bulgari ad is the same as the one from last year. Pretty much like maybe they did like a little edit on it, but people were clapping to the Bulgari ad last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, I totally forgot. that. Okay, yeah. So the clapping has been there. I thought it was like we had all we all knew that the Bulgari ad was being completely reused and we were all kind of going crazy. So we started clapping to it and that was Mm. why the clapping was happening. No, I mean... Yeah, the clapping was happening last year, but the clapping was already happening with a L'Oreal ad in previous years. I think it's just like people get hyped up and do funny things. As for the R, I feel like the R has come back stronger because I think in for like a couple years, this may be like a, a couple festivals ago or pre-pandemic, TIFF changed the wording for that warning and took out the word piracy, but put in language about not like recording copyright material or whatever. And so I feel like the R had been more muted because there wasn't the word piracy to kind of trigger the R. But now piracy is back in that warning and people are here for it. People are R-ing. People are R-ing. So the R is back. I'd say the R is stronger than Definitely. I feel like it was dead last year. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think they had different wording that did not have the word piracy in it. And then they changed the language in that disclaimer to include piracy again, hence triggering the R. Cause I guess the first tip we would have gone to together was 2019 mm-hmm. for which I didn't really go like to heavy mounts. Yeah. The R has been there. And I it, have been to many a tiff and like the R has been there, but I think that's what I mean. I think like they changed it for a bit and then like people weren't doing it or only people who like kind of knew, but now it's like, back i just remember in 2019 being fascinated with it and you Mm. were like yeah this is how it always is Mm -hmm. like and i was like damn this is cool and then it started dying out but now now it's coming back it's back yeah but yeah like the bulgar and the and the um cineplex volunteer thing is the same as last year yeah which is very militaristic to me it is very militaristic how i feel about it i don't love it but um yeah, I don't know. Cineplex, who knows? Maybe they're pissed about like Tiff showing Netflix movies. So they're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do a new volunteer, uh, a volunteer spot. We're just going to reuse the one from last year. So there was one I remember from like way back in the day. Like, I think it was like when I was volunteering for Tiff. So like that was many years ago, but it was like, I think it was NBC universal that sponsored the volunteer program at that point. And there was, like the volunteer spot was like some lady. It was like a lady, like celebrity lady, like 
giving a speech. She's sort of sp- finishing up a speech and she walks off stage and then a volunteer walks on the stage to move the mic and people start clapping for the volunteer in the spot. And then it makes everybody in the crowd actually watching the movie clap too. I thought that one was pretty good, but that seems clever. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously like different sponsor. So can't really reuse that. Um, I'm trying to think of other memorable volunteer spots. I don't know why I remember this one, this particular one so well. I think they maybe ran it multiple years in a row. But I just liked it because it was kind of simple, right? Like nobody, nobody says anything, right? The like celebrity lady is just like waving and walking up stage and then a volunteer walks on to remove the mic and, and people start clap. And then you hear the audio of clapping. Like it was just like very simple and quick. And then there was sort of text saying like, thanks, thanks to the volunteers or whatever. So, so I don't know, Cineplex, maybe you can just like redo that ad. Yeah, because the unmeted, unseated, ungreeted. What is it? Anyway, grammatically, it makes no sense. It's just, it, there's something about it. It's <laughs> not quite. It's like you can't look away, but it's not quite doing what's meant to accomplish. <laughs> okay, so next movie that you liked. Mimang, Korean film, mm-hmm. indie first feature for the director who mm-hmm. is very you could talk about the film itself i thought for me the q a was really the best part mm. not to hate on the film i didn't Whoa. dislike it but i thought the q a really made it memorable mm-hmm. yeah i liked it a lot like essentially it's um it's about these two characters who kind of keep meeting up in the same neighborhood and soul over a period of time like it's not really clear I guess how much time has passed each time they connect but you can assume like it's maybe been like a year a couple years or something um and so it's like the film I guess is sort of like a triptych like there's sort of three sections to it and I guess yeah there's sort of this melancholy tone about the film, I guess it for me, like I think part of the reason I liked it is because it kind of like makes me reflect on like my own friendships and like friends who, you know, like I was really close with at one point And then, you know, maybe you don't see for a year or two, like you just sort of get busy with your own things and you kind of like you reconnect and the friendship kind of feels the same as it always was, but you know, there's something that's kind of slightly off because you're both living your own lives. Whereas like at one point you are much more connected with each other on like a more regular basis. So for me, it kind of reminded me of that, like those friendships where you're just, you know, you see someone that you're close, that you were close with, but time has passed, but there's still that sort of closeness, but you know, your lives have moved forward in different directions and in different paths. And so, yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot, like that's sort of what it made me think of, of, you know, close friends that I don't always get to see and how our lives are still connected, but also feel like very different. And, um, yeah you're sort of wondering if you still know the person or if 
the closeness you once had is just kind of like imagined. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's how I connected to the film. And I think also like talking about neighborhoods and how like geography and neighborhoods can change too. And so I think especially with people who you've known from the past, you know, you think of like an area maybe where you hung out in or where you went to school together or like, you know, like a geographic area that you were connected to or, you know, where you may have spent a lot of time together at one point and then kind of like revisiting that area. And it's like, well, this whole neighborhood has changed, but like we've also changed and nothing is the same as it once was. So, yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I really liked the movie a lot is that it just, yeah, like made me reflect on my friends and how the city has changed and all of that. So, yeah, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was very good. I definitely respected that it, he wanted to make a different kind of Korean film. Mm-hmm. And it's very wordy. Like, it feels like there's almost no part of the movie where there isn't some mm-hmm. dialogue which in my brain at least feels like different than a lot of Korean films, which are slow and sort of silent. and Yeah, like it's a lot like a sort of Eric Romare type of movie is how I would describe it. He's a French filmmaker, but a lot of his movies are very conversational like that, where it's like characters just having conversations and going about their life. Like that is how I would maybe describe it. Yeah, like sort of in that style. It will one day. I'm sure I'll watch some Eric Romare with you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, if you like this style, myself. if you like this style of filmmaking, I mean, I think a lot of people were were comparing this movie to like the before series, which I like can kind of see as a comparison just in terms of like the style of like people walking around and talking for a night or a day or whatever. But I don't know that it's totally a fair comparison because I think this movie is sort of doing other things as well. Well, I get what you're saying. So yeah. this level of comparison. And from what I understand about the before trilogy, which I have never watched, mm-hmm. they take place in one day, right? Every movie takes place in one day. Or Yeah, essentially. And this movie, Mimang, is like the opposite. It's taking place across a large space. Over like a large Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like yeah, exactly. Like it's it's like one night or one day or whatever. Yeah, whereas this is, like, um, over a much longer period of time. I mean, I guess, like, each section is sort of a night or a day or whatever. But this is obviously, like, a much longer stretch of time. I guess, like, on the surface level, yeah, it's it's people walking and talking and having a conversation, and that's the movie. But I think, like, the movies are doing completely different things. So I don't know if it's, like, a fair comparison. Because I think it's good and it's doing its own thing, even though there may be some like baseline stylistic similarities. Uh, and the Q&A, very cute. It's one of the, my, when you get a Q&A like this, I feel like it's one of the best parts of a film festival. Mm-hmm. First time director, very excited, very nervous, mm-hmm. just like pretty funny, pretty like honest answers mm-hmm. and uh, very sweet yeah. And like one of the, the actress was like getting all emotional. Like I think she was really excited and they took like a picture, like a selfie with the audience kind of thing at the end. And we were in the back. <laughs> the back of the- <laughs> yeah. Like last row. But anyway, whatever. We were there in spirit. Okay. Me, Meng. 
<laughs> Where do you have that ranked? Is that third for you? Huh? Yeah, that would that would be my third. Yeah. Uh, next, I told you so. Part of the platform program, the first film we saw. Uh, no, Swan the second Song was film. The first. Yeah, because we saw two second. on we saw two on the Saturday. Yeah, uh, Italian movie. Uh, I believe it's the director's second film. Mm-hmm. But all these characters in Rome during a heat wave in January. Yeah, uh, dealing with stressful situations or addictions, traumas, that kind of stuff. Yeah, a little uh, sort of anthology is that the word yeah sort of an anthology but like all of the characters are connected together in different ways so yeah it's not an anthology in in terms of like where one story ends the next one begins it's more i guess with it's sort of an ensemble piece is how i would describe it and Mm -hmm. it's um yeah and all the care it's different characters but the characters are connected in different ways so i liked it for sure Mm mm-hmm um, I thought that stuff with Danny Houston was a bit weird at points. Yeah, I didn't love his storyline as much as I liked the other storylines. I like him. I do like him like as an actor. And I think he, yeah, I think he, he it was a good performance. But yeah, I didn't completely love his storyline as I did um, with the others. So, yeah, I thought the storyline with like the mother who's addicted mm-hmm. was the best one to me, and the way it intertwined with the Danny Houston character was like the best, yeah, usage of the sort of intertwined nature. And I quite like the story of the um, like the porno star and her yeah. sort of, I guess, ex friend slash stalker. I quite like that storyline as well, yeah, yeah, that was so uh weird and yeah. extreme uh but I, this was was this your least favorite yeah this was my least favorite not but that doesn't mean i didn't yeah. like it i did enjoy you know i did enjoy the movie um but out of everything we saw it was probably my least favorite um but yeah but okay, yeah, it's still, still it's still movie. like a solid movie and i also just mostly thought it was cool cuz i saw Barry Jenkins there yeah, because he's out part of the platform jury. So they had the jury members attend the screenings to watch the movie like with an audience. So yeah, it was just kind of cool to see Barry Jenkins and the other jury members kind of just like strolling around Tiff. So that was yeah. kind of cool. Cool sighting. Barry Jenkins in his hat. I guess he's still a bit low key. Like if he can just walk around, if he's just walking through the lobby. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe people did approach him. I mean, I like whatever. I don't want to bother people. I'm like, I know who you are, but like, I'm not going to be like, I love Moonlight. Let yeah. me <laughs> let me talk to you. I love Lion King. <laughs> I can't wait for Lion I King 2. can't wait too. for Lion King 2. Yeah. No, no, no. So I don't want to bother him, but like, obviously, like I know who he is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess he can just kind of like do his thing and people aren't going to bother him or. So, final movie we saw, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the runtime on this one, let's get the exact. Um, uh, three hours? It's just under three hours, yeah. 179. Which, you know, I see the cool title. I, like I was telling you, cocoon is a very cool word to mm-hmm. me. Like it's very appealing to say and to look at. Mm. So I saw the title and I was very attracted to it. It's a film about... Uh, a Vietnamese guy whose sister dies in a motorcycle accident 
and he has to take his sister's son across the country to find their father and eventually deliver this child to them. Mm-hmm. What I just said makes it seem like the movie has a much more concrete plot than mm-hmm. what it actually does has, which is a, a lot more meandering. Not in a bad way. I'm just yeah. using the word meandering little experiences mm-hmm. and very quiet sort of long takes. Mm-hmm. Um, once dreamlike. Again, dreamlike, yes. Um, much like uh, Mimang. I thought the Q&A freaking brought down the house. Yeah, the Q&A was amazing. Yeah, so it was just the producer, the director of the film wasn't there, but the producer was and he was... He murdered it. Yeah, he crushed. But I'll let you talk because I think you liked this movie more than I did. Yeah, I really liked the movie a lot, I have to say. Like, um, I, I, I don't know, like maybe I shouldn't generalize, but I f- guess I feel like a lot of Southeast Asian filmmaking is a bit in this style. Like I think of like, um, what's his name? Apichapong. I cannot say the last name. Pitchapong. You want me to try to say it? A Pitchapong Urasakul? Urasethakul. A Pitchapong Urasethakul. Sakul. Uh, okay, we got to work on our pronunciation of this person's name because we're not doing him any justice. But I have seen several of his films, and I will say that I know the, this filmmaker that we saw the Kun Shell is a Vietnamese, not a Thai filmmaker, but I will say that they have a fi- similar style of filmmaking in this sort of dreamy, slower paced kind of um, surreal style. So I'm going to draw a parallel just in terms of, of like, I don't know, sort of a South Asian style of filmmaking. I mean, or- when I, we were watching it. I thought it was reminding me of Memoria. Which yeah. Is the only a Pong movie I've seen. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I've seen Uncle Boon Me. I've seen um, Cemetery of Splendor, Memoria. I don't know if I've seen any other ones. Maybe I've seen one more. Anyway, I can't remember. But um, yeah, it's it's that sort of slower pace. This, things kind of unfold in the frame. Um, you know, a lot of snippets of daily life, but then you get these kind of like dreamlike sequences, which almost seem real, but not quite. Um, so yeah, I really liked, like, I was a little bit worried going into it just cause I was like so tired, I guess that week and not feeling so great. So, um, I wasn't sure if I would be able to like make it through. <laughs> I was like a little bit worried about that, but uh, I'm glad that I was, and I was almost considering actually just being like, let's not go to this movie, but I'm glad that we did. Cause I liked it a lot. You know, it is long, but I, you know, it's sort of dreamy enough and there is a story, but I think it's also just sort of exploring a lot of like ideas and themes and stuff. So I found that I could like drift off a little bit and that was okay. Much yeah. like the character kind of like falling into a dream state at certain points at the end of the movie. Mm. It's like, that's sort of how I felt watching it as well. Mm. Great observation. Yeah. It's definitely a movie you have to be in a right headspace mm-hmm. for. And I, feel like just on the day I was so distracted yeah. that I couldn't grab onto it at the beginning. And then if you're not 
if it's a three hour movie, you really gotta be into it mm-hmm. in like the first thirty minutes, I feel like. And then it will cruise by. But if you if that doesn't happen, then it can get pretty hard. Mm. Um but yeah, Q and A, hearing about how the movie was made and the filmmaking style and everything went into like uh these rehearsals and the long takes and just the sort of DIY nature of the film. So fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And the producer was just killing it every question, mm-hmm. giving these like really in-depth, like just going off mm-hmm. questions about the movie and like filmmaking, the industry society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was working it. One of the most memorable parts of the festival for me <laughs> was the Q and a definitely. So, Yeah. But yeah, I like, yeah, I'd probably rank this as my fourth film. Well, okay. Yeah. So fourth, then Promised Land, then Contestant, and then I Told You So at number seven. Okay. Yeah. Respect. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on my rankings. Mm. But, okay. Um, well, I look forward to getting that list from you. Yeah. All right. Well. I guess that's it. I don't know. Anything else? Any other thoughts? I wanted the Scotiabank lineup situation. I can't handle that. It was insanity. The outdoor lineup. The out- are... outdoor lineup was hell. It was hell on earth. Truly. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, it's a situation for sure. I don't know. I have no recommendations on how to fix the problem, but like, man, standing in that line. What a nightmare. There's like your there's garbage everywhere. There's wasps buzzing around. It's just like a mess of humanity. It's confusing. <laughs> just so many people everywhere and if you're just trying to like walk through, it's so difficult. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, truly a horrendous experience at the Scotia Bank every time. Shout out Scotiabank Coke machines, <laughs> 75% regular Coke, 25% cherry Coke. That's the combo you go for. <laughs> Shout out to not looking at our calendar correctly. Well, you, you, to, yeah, you, yeah, not yeah. me. Okay. Me, I went to the right place all the time. Once again, went to the wrong theater, ordered popcorn uh, and a drink mm-hmm. and had to run over to the other theater with both. Mm-hmm. Made it in time, but just a truly awful sensation when you, I get there like 30 minutes early. I'm like, I'm killing this. You're going to be so happy with me. Uh And we're going to have a great time. Uh And I have to admit that I actually didn't look at (laughs) the thing you put in my phone enough. And Mm. I messed up. Mm -hmm. So that's it that's 2023 yeah oh yeah and shout out to that lady in the yellow cocoon shell who's like tiktok videos were like popping off during the intro and then shushed you and then shushed me when i was trying to eat popcorn i was just like lady you're watching like tiktok cooking videos and like your phone is going off and like I, i i don't know what was happening i feel like she wasn't closing the app and then every time she'd look at her phone and the video would just like pop up and like scream and I was just like, lady, just put it away. <laughs> anyway, shout out to her. Thanks for shushing me. All right. 
Okay, so yeah, next year. Yeah, 2024, Tiff. Can't wait. Prony will be back. Prony, be back. Please fix your ticketing system, Tiff. Um, and do something about those squish bank lines. Great. Thanks for listening. 